Um, we um, last week had a chance to think about uh, what it means for us to have a, a tug on our hearts from God and a relationship with God, despite the fact that we have no ability within us to even present physically. Uh, you'll remember I talked last week about Mark Whitty, my friend who had multiple sclerosis, and he passed away a couple of weeks ago now. And he couldn't communicate physically. He couldn't talk to anybody. Uh, he could barely lift a hand. You could look in his eyes and see that there were things happening there. And I even described how at the end of his life, how he very quickly sat up for a moment or tried to sit up for a moment and got a smile on his face and then died. And he had a smile on his face I'm absolutely convinced, and those who were there with him are convinced, he had that smile on his face because something was happening between himself and the Lord at just that moment. And Mark was a faithful Christian who loved Jesus Christ. And to go that way, with a smile on your lips because you're thinking about Jesus, even if you can't communicate it to anybody, I think is a good way to go. Well, our world has experienced in the past an awful lot of, of death, People have experienced hard times. If you spent any time watching television this weekend, uh, certainly yesterday, what you would have experienced was reminiscences about D-Day. Yesterday was June 6th, the day of the uh, invasion in Europe, when that armada of boats went across the English Channel and landed on the beaches in France. And so you probably heard, as I did, I watched some of this, Story after story of people talking about what it was like to land on the beach and have all of that fire going against you and all of the death and all of the pain that was around them everywhere as they made their way up the beachhead. A story that you didn't see, that you probably know nothing about, is the story of Darlene Diebler Rose. You've probably never heard of her. But her story starts like this. With beatings and starvation and solitary confinement. She says, I never cried in front of them. She said this of her Japanese captors during World War II, but as soon as everyone went away, I cried buckets. She served as a missionary in New Guinea. She was there with the Christian Missionary Alliance from 1938 to 1942, and again after the war in what is now Papua New Guinea from 49 to 78. In between, she was imprisoned for three years on the island of what is now called Sulawesi. Mission work was close to the heart of uh, Darlene from the very beginning. She arrived uh, in what was called then the Dust East, Dutch East Indies on her first wedding anniversary on August 18th, 1938. Does that wedding anniversary sound familiar, dear? August 18th? Really familiar? Her husband who was a missionary, had served in New Guinea previously, and his wife uh, wanted to be a missionary as well, so she went with him. Their time with the people of New Guinea was happy, satisfying, until March of 1942, when the Imperial Japanese Army arrived on the island and made them prisoners. Eventually, the young couple was separated, and they never saw each other again. Over the next three years, Mrs. Rose was confined to various camps and eventually held in solitary confinement, when the Japanese secret police learned she was American, they began to mistreat her. 
Her year of confinement in one room in a one-room building with high barred windows was the most trying time, she said. But she always found ways to bear it. And here's how she did. The Lord had laid it on my heart, she says, to memorize scripture. I knew I needed exercise, so I would walk around the room quietly saying scripture and speaking and singing hymns all day long. On a particularly low day, she said, she heard a hymn from her childhood being sung outside her window. She shimmied up a pipe in her cell and held on to the bars of the window until the song had stopped. She looked out. She never saw the singer, but she was convinced that God had sent her that song. I still don't know what it was, she said, but I got on my knees and I told God, it's all right that I'm here because you're here. She had to eat her small daily dish of rice without utensils. She lost so much weight that she was nothing but skin and bones. When it was possible, the students in the Bible school where she had taught before she was incarcerated would put things in her rice to try and give her some protein. They secured jobs next to the cell where she was held so that they could be close to her. One day, she says, there was a nice long worm in my rice as I got ready to eat it. I knew that they had put it there. I just said, okay, Lord, here it goes. And she ate it. She was once given 92 small bananas secretly furnished to her by one of her captors whom she only knew as Mr. Yamaji and whom she had at one point led to Christ while she was in prison there. I didn't eat all the bananas at once, she said. That makes sense. I didn't eat the last one until the day that I was freed. She had two dresses that she was allowed to take into captivity with her during the three years and despite their constant use, they never wore out. She used them in other ways. At one point, she had to wipe blood off of the walls from mosquitoes that she had killed there because the, uh, her captor said, we don't want you killing any more mosquitoes. And so she would kill a mosquito and then she'd have to wipe the blood off the wall with her dress so that they wouldn't know that she had killed one. Eventually, she contracted malaria, dysentery, and beriberi all at the same time, she said. Through it all, she had beatings that continued. Uh, she permanently lost her hair but through all of this uh, retained her faith. She said, I have no regrets. It was a way to know God in a deeper way. He was always there. Neither does she hold any animosity for her captor. She believes many of them had remorse, even while they were beating her. She said, I didn't hate them. Uh, With Mr. Yamaji, I could see it in him. I could see his tears as he was hitting me. When Mrs. Rose was freed by the Japanese, she was told of her husband's death but learned that he had led many others to a knowledge of Christ while he was in captivity. With that knowledge and her love of the native New Guinea people, she eventually decided to return to the islands. When she did, it was with her second husband, Jerry Rose, who, like her first husband, felt a calling to serve the country. There they taught, preached, dispensed medicine, delivered babies, graded an airstrip, and did whatever else they saw as necessary to serve. Fools rush in where others dare not to go, she said. Through it all, though, we were very conscious of the prayers back home and the God who was with us through it all. It's no surprise to me that Tom Brokaw wrote a book called The Greatest Generation about people who went through things like that. They experienced something that I can't really even begin to talk about. 
because I wasn't there. I remember my father's stories. Like dad would tell me about what it was like to be on a ship with planes bombing you. He would tell me stories about how they took the mattresses off the bed and they would put them up against the wall to try and seal the holes in the side of the ship with with the mattresses to keep the water from pouring in. I remember him telling me how after the, uh, the war was over, he had been in Hawaii right at the end and he had to fly back to San Francisco and he was on a, I can't remember what the plane was. He, he told me, you know, it was a, a double prop plane flying back from Hawaii to San Francisco and on the way there, one of the engines caught fire and how he prayed, God, you got to get us through this. I mean, here we are, I've gone through this war, I've been bombed, I've been shot at, I've had all these things happen, and now I'm going to die in a plane crash on the way home. And of course, he uh, eventually made it. Well, that generation did go through more than what I have to go through. And I read a story like this story of Mrs. Rose, and it just kind of blows me away. Uh, The things that that she experienced are incredible, but what's experienced? More incredible are the ways in which she dealt with what she experienced. Notice how she's sustained through scripture memorization and singing hymns. The Lord had laid it on my heart to memorize scripture, she says. I knew I needed exercise, so I'd walk around the room quietly saying scripture and singing hymns. Would you have that kind of strength? Would I have it? I'd like to think I would, but I just don't know. There's a part of me that thinks that I'm just weak enough that in the midst of a circumstance like that, I may well have just cracked. Maybe I would have ended up one of those people folded up and huddled on the floor in the corner babbling to myself. That's possible. I'd like to think not, but I just don't know. I admire her strength. I admire her faithfulness. I have no regret, she said. It was a way to come to know God in a deeper way. He was always there. Again, I talked last week about Mark Witte and about him obviously knowing God at a deep level, deeper than what I think I sometimes know God. And I couldn't tell that. You couldn't talk to Mark and get that out of him because he couldn't speak to you and tell you how deep his faith in God was. But I think it was profound. And here's a lady who counted her imprisonment as a way to be in touch with the Lord. Sometimes I wonder if our secular society has had such an influence on the church that if if this was to happen to us in this generation instead of the greatest generation, that maybe we wouldn't be so easily quoting scripture. Maybe we wouldn't be so easily singing hymns. She's given these bananas furnished by her captor. And she says that she led her captor to Christ. That's amazing to me. Like she wasn't just being sustained. She wasn't just living. She wasn't just keeping herself alive somehow. In the midst of staying alive in her captivity, she was sharing Jesus with her captors. Now I don't know about you, but I know an awful lot of people who instead of wanting to share Christ with their captors would want to simply kill them. They would be so angry at these people for what they were doing and the beatings and the hunger and who knows other ways in which she may have been mistreated. But here she is, no doubt praying for these people and even leads this Mr. Yamanji to Christ. When she's freed by the Japanese, she told of her husband's death and learns that he too had been sharing 
Christ with others in captivity. It wasn't just her faith. It was their family pattern. This is simply the way that they lived. Her knowledge and love of the New Guinea people, it says, causes her to eventually return to the islands. When she did, with her second husband, she serves and continues to serve. Preaching, teaching, dispensing medicine, delivering babies, it says. It's incredible that she went back. What would draw her back? Except that she had experienced God there. She knew he was there. And she went back. Do you remember the story of Eric Little? Remember chariots of fire? And I'm not just talking about the story of Ezekiel being caught up with the chariot. Remember the movie? I saw it in a special showing in Los Angeles in about 1984 when it first came out. They invited all the ministers and all over the L.A. area to come to a special showing at the movie studio. So I had a chance to go and be part of that. And I was blown away by the strength and the faith. The place that gets me every time is when Eric Little, who of course has been this great Olympic athlete and sprinter, chooses not to run on Sunday. And there's a scene in the movie when he's standing in a Presbyterian church on that Sunday when he should be running the 100 meters. He should be running the 100 meters in the Olympics, and instead of running in the Olympics, he's standing in a pulpit on a Sunday morning preaching. And he reads the text that is, if you have a pew Bible, on page 512. And if you're looking at your own Bible, it's Isaiah chapter 40, beginning with verse 27. I'd like you to turn there. Isaiah chapter 40, beginning with verse 27, says this. Why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. In other words, why are you saying, God, you're not here. God, I can't find you. God, you can't find me. God, I'm alone. Why are you saying that, Israel? And I love these words. I used to, I used to, in kind of mocking with my children, say this to them when we started talking about something about the Lord. And I would think about how great he was. And I would just say, do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. I just can, I can hear Isaiah the prophet saying that. It's such a wonderful line. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. And, and you can hear Eric Little saying this from the pulpit. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Now that might mean something to a guy who doesn't get to run in the Olympics because he's focusing on God instead and isn't there on that Sunday morning running the 100 meters. But what's really interesting to know is what happened to Eric Little after the Olympics. Because if you remember in the movie, the struggle was, is Eric Little going to train and run in the Olympics or is he going to go and be the missionary in China that his parents intended for him to be and in which they had already given their lives in service? 
And the real Eric Little, not just some movie character, does in fact go back to China after the Olympics. He serves in China from 1924 until 1945 when the communists came and took over communist, well, what we know of as communist China. And there he died in prison as a Christian missionary at the age of 43. And so the greatness of the story about Eric Little is not just that he refused to run on a Sunday morning and he had faith and preached on a Sunday morning instead. The greatness of the story about Eric Little is that he left comfort and went to China and eventually died for his faith in a prison with no one even knowing that he died. At the age of 43, this strong, fast athlete dead because he loved his Lord and served him. Well, I've been thinking an awful lot about inner strength and what it means for us to have inner strength. It's one thing to be physically strong. It's another thing to be strong in the Lord. And the passage out of Isaiah 40, beginning with verse 27, says some very specific things about what it means to be strong in the Lord and the ways in which we gain our strength. This passage is written when Israel is in captivity. The Babylonians had taken over the nation of Israel. They were a long ways from their homeland. Their temple had been destroyed. The city of Jerusalem had been wiped out. The religion of the Jews had been greatly modified. Things had changed. And they're off in Babylon somewhere. There's no guess, really, even, whether or not Israel's faith is going to survive. And the prophet writes this text and tells the people that they can persevere. He says that this is the God who is the creator and everlasting God. He says his strength is eternal and persevering, that he is able to do what they need. And then look at verse 29. It says specifically, he gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. God gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. What that means is that it's already said that he's the great creator. It's already said that he's the eternal, everlasting God. And then the text says that you and I can have the very strength given to us that is in the eternal God, the everlasting Father, the one who is strongest of all. The creator of the universe, it says, gives his strength, his power, and his might to the weary and to the weak. And that, I think, is where anybody who finds him or herself in any position of weakness is going to have to go for strength. You can go to the gym and you can become physically strong. You can go to a psychologist. And you're probably going to gain some emotional strength. Somebody is going to be able to tell you if you ask him or her that you're a good person and your self-esteem may well be increased. 
this says that the spirit of a man can be altered and strengthened by the presence of the eternal God when we're in relationship with Him. And I know this morning that there are some people here who hurt in various ways. I know that there are some of you who are worried about your jobs. I know that there are some of you who are worried about your health or the health of a loved one. And again, you can go various places for strength and confidence and to be bolstered and built up about your circumstances, but I want to implore you this morning to go to the same place that Eric Little went, the same place that Mrs. Rose went, the same place that so many people before us have gone when it comes to gaining strength. And I want to know whether or not we can be, in fact, the greatest generation of all. Greatest not because of the circumstances that challenged us, but greatest because God was chosen by us and we by God. So that our relationship with Him is what causes us to persevere and to be strong. Can we look inside, deep inside, and not just get by can we do more than just limp? I'd like to know if we could soar. Like I want to know if we can soar on eagle's wings despite the circumstances in which we find ourselves. You know, a couple of weeks ago, Robin and I went to the Vancouver Island for a holiday. Had beautiful weather. It was just incredible. At one point, we were at a place called Spider Lake. And there were two bald eagles on Spider Lake. One of those... Bald eagles lands in a tree not far from us, and we were able to get some spectacular photography of this eagle right in the tree above us. But at one point, it took off from the tree. We've actually got a great picture of the eagle taking off from the tree. But the tree, or the eagle leaves the tree, and in moments, in moments, the eagle is nothing more than a dot out there in the sky. You can barely see it. And if you look away for a moment, it takes you a second to kind of get the eagle back in your vision. The eagle left so quickly and soared so quickly, so magnificently did that eagle soar. And it was gone. And God says that we can soar just like that. With wings like eagles, despite being weary, despite being tired, despite stumbling and falling. On the way out on our trip... Robin and I were driving through the Fraser Canyon. And there's all these majestic rocks along the edge of the Fraser. We're driving along, and I looked up, and there were about four hang gliders that had just come off of a cliff. And the stretch was long enough as we drove along that I thought, well, we're going to see them land. Like, they'll come down off that cliff, and we'll be driving along here. We saw them such a dis- in such a distance. You know, we, we've got a long time here. We'll, we'll eventually see them land. We never saw them land. They never even came close because they just kept going up. And I don't know what the updrafts are like there that caused the hang gliders to go up. I don't know how those people ever made it down. They're probably still up there, very hungry by now. But it was amazing to watch them soar like that. And the Bible says that we can soar like that. Well, I can't tell you that your circumstances are going to turn out wonderfully. Oftentimes they don't. 
Sometimes things work out and sometimes they don't. Sometimes our loved ones are healed and sometimes they're not. I can't tell you things will always work out just because I think it's what you want to hear. And the fact is, it would be the shallow answer anyway that I would give if I told you it will always work out. It would not be the right answer. It would be a shallow answer. It would be the easy answer. It would be the wrong answer. Things sometimes don't work out. The right answer is that it's to the Lord that you must turn in your hour of need. He is the one who doesn't get tired. He doesn't get weary even when you do. He's the one who can make you run when you think you can't run. He's the one who will make you soar when you know you can't begin to fly. I've spent enough time with Jordan and Carrie to know that they didn't make it on their own. They had their families. They had their friends. They had you and me. But more than anything, Jordan and Carrie, as Drew was dying, had the Lord. Let me read this from Carrie's blog. I think this was written the day before Drew died. There's just no easy way to say what we're having to say. My heart aches to be able to tell you that Drew has been miraculously healed. But that's not what I get to say right now. Through my tears, I'll write that the doctors have given Drew a limited number of days before he gets to sit in God's lap and be held close by him. I'm still praying that they aren't right and that God has some wonderful plan to heal Drew at the last minute. But at the same time, my heart groans for Drew every time he gasps for air or seizes with courage. He's slipping away bit by bit. I never knew something could hurt so bad and yet you have to keep breathing somehow. The only way I'm getting through this right now is by constantly reminding myself that God is able to do immeasurably more than I can think or imagine. If he's going to do that, and what I'm imagining is Drew healthy and running around in the backyard with Peyton having fun, then it must be really good. I know we'll have to go through this pain and work through many struggles, but I also know God is good and will not leave us to suffer alone. We've had so much support through the nurses and the doctors and the prayer groups and our church and so many churches and people we don't even know. We had no idea that the reach such a little one could have. We pray that God will change many lives through Drew's, through Drew's life. He reminds me of a brilliant ray of sunshine that comes and warms everyone in its path but passes quickly to serve another purpose. Please don't misunderstand me as I write this. We have absolutely not given up on Drew. But he's so far from the Drew we know that it feels that he's gone already in some ways. God has performed greater miracles. How will this miracle look? How will this miracle look? And I don't think that when Carrie wrote, how will this miracle look, that she was expecting that the miracle was simply going to be that Drew was going to be nursed back to health. That's not the point. 
The point is that God is working another kind of miracle here. There's another kind of strength. There's something else that we get in our relationship with him. Something else that sustains and builds up and makes us strong. And so there's the miracle of strengthened relationship that comes when we watch a young couple care for a dying child. Praise God that he sustains at moments like that. Praise God that we can know one who sustains us like that. And so, no, it won't always look like the miracle we want. It will not always look like you hope. But this I can tell you. Even youths grow tired and weary. And young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord shall renew their strength. And they will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will not be faint, but will walk. Let's pray. God, thank you for loving us like you do. And Father, thank you for sustaining us through the most difficult of times. Whether imprisoned for three years eating worms or beaten by captors or dying in prison or watching a loved one go. For these and for a thousand other things in our lives that just seem to us like we can't possibly bear it, God, you're there. And you lift us up and you make us soar. Oh, thank you for Jesus who allows us to soar. Thank you for your spirit who is present in us and who strengthens our legs and allows us to run. Help us, God, to put our hope only in you. Through Christ. Amen.